0: Greetings and welcome to Fresh Text. Fresh Text is a weekly podcast when a couple pastor-scholars dig into the Word of God using a seasonally appropriate scripture passage. We hope it'll be enjoyable and edifying for all, and especially equipping for pastors or teachers who are working on sermons or lessons in the upcoming weeks. I'm your host, John Drury. I teach systematic theology and spiritual formation for Wesley Seminary at Indiana Wesleyan University. My guest this week is Dave Smith, Dave is an old uh, friend and teacher of mine and teaches uh, Bible uh, for the School of Theology and Ministry at uh, Indiana Wesleyan University. And uh, our text this week is Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. That's Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Make sure to subscribe if you're not already so you never miss an episode. And as you're listening you enjoy the show, hit the share button on your podcast player app of choice to pass this show on so that others may benefit as well. Thanks for listening and enjoy this conversation with Dave. Uh, what do you say... You read, and I'll say a word of prayer, and then we'll jump in. Great. Okay. So, Acts chapter
1: 2, verses 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many signs and wonders were being done by the apostles. And all who believed were together, and had all things in common. And they sold their possessions and gave and distributed them to all as they had need. And day by day, attending in the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they partook of food and glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Hmm. Wow, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray.
0: Father, we ask that the very spirit that was upon the apostles in the power of their preaching and in love exhibited in their fellowship, that that spirit would be at work here and now. That in this hour, uh, Dave and I would be led by your spirit and that all those who are listening in separated by time and space would also be led by your spirit to uh, discern the word of God uh, for the church today. We dare to ask this in the name of your son, our savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Yeah. So uh what jumps out at you as you read this text? afresh? obviously you've been in it before, but <laughs> what's grabbing your attention today?
1: Yeah, I love this passage because it's really one of the first summary statements that takes place in the book of Acts, that Acts 1 and 2 is kind of all neatly tied together with this is the summation of that. Hmm. So normally when we read uh, Acts 1, we get kind of the closing words of Jesus, and then Acts 2 is what we've really been anticipating, this wonderful coming of the Spirit. Um, And then Peter's response to that with his sermon and then you can tie this up as, okay, this is nice and neat. Let's go on to the miracles. Hmm. But this is one of two things. Um, it's either a summary statement that closes this introductory material of Acts, and then we go on to the work of the apostles. Or I would actually call it the climax mm-hmm. of the coming of the Holy Spirit. The, the thrill is not necessarily just the Spirit coming in power, but what happens when the Spirit is internalized becomes a part of the living, breathing community. And here, here's the really interesting thing. You you asked about observations. If this is the climax of Pentecost, I find it quite unique that Luke chooses not to use the word spirit in this passage. Ha. It's just absent, but it's yeah. present everywhere. It is the effect of the internalized spirit on people and the way they live and do community together. Yeah, this is
0: surely too far afield but you saying that makes me think of how the the flow of the classic you know apostles creed or nicene creed it's it's very clear in the second article and i believe in jesus christ the son our lord and then all the things that come after that are things he did or were done to him right but in the third article it's a little more ambiguous i believe in the holy spirit and then the church and forgiveness and communion and it's easy to hear those as like a change of subject because Mm. it's not clearly explicitly the things done by or to the spirit. Right. But of course the whole structure, the threefold outline of the creed invites the assumption that these are the works of the spirit. Right. Um, and it suddenly occurs to me that, that instead of just being a kind of peculiarity, perhaps of the apostles creed, that there's something about the work of the spirit, uh, the, the 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 fluidity as it were of the way the spirit works yeah. that yeah. the the climax of the spirit's impact is uh, not a bunch of words about the spirit whereas with Jesus it is you got to say the name right? right the name really matters when it comes to Jesus. As the next chapter will discuss, right? Yeah, the, yeah. right? But the name at this particular story, because what happened to him happened to him, and not to us, and that's good news, right? He's 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 our representative, our chief, our you know our champion. Uh, whereas the spirit's working in and among us, yeah. Very and unassuming,
1: so it, yeah, unassuming, nice, yeah, yeah. I, uh, a, a mutual friend of ours, Chris Bounds. Um, I've heard him say a number of times that what Easter made possible Pentecost. Pentecost makes a reality. Hmm. And so here, this is that this long promised movement of God coming and dwelling, not just with his people, but in his people. And here's what it looks like. It is a community that reflects the other centeredness of Jesus. And so whether this is a summary or a climax, it (laughs) is vitally important. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. When you mention what, what,
0: the absence of reference to the spirit and then interesting the, the at least twice and maybe more, I'm seeing reference to the apostles, right? right. To the apostles teaching and then through the apostles
1: signs right? and wonders, mm-hmm.
0: which of course is, is as much summary as anticipation too, because yeah. uh, the next chapter is this healing mm-hmm. of this, this lame beggar which is a sign and wonder, as it were. Absolutely. Right? So that isn't just looking back, but also anticipating. Um, yeah, and the, the, the repetitive use of the word, uh, koinonia or koinos, right? Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. in the first verse, we have, um, to the fellowship, right? They devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles and to the koinonia, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. Well, maybe. We want to talk about the exact meaning of these terms. And then again in verse 44, and all who believe were together uh-huh. and all had koina. It's same root word. Mm-hmm. It's hard to get that to come out in Greek, in, the repeated use. Right. Yeah. Um, common. Maybe if we had, we wouldn't notice it probably even in English, but if we called it the community where it says fellowship. Because at least that has C-O-M-M in it, right? right. Common, right. community. I don't know. Right. I'm just – I'm not – I'm overdoing it with the language. But
1: uh, I don't know. I just found that that kind of striking. Well, and then verse 47, we, we kind of close with this idea of the praising God – and having favor with all the people. So God is mentioned again. And then the last phrase, which is another somewhat of a summary of this small paragraph. And the Lord adds their number daily. Yeah. Like so it, it almost seemed like everybody's talked about except the spirit here. And the, yeah. fra- the phrase the Lord in Luke and in Luke Acts, Jesus, Lord right? is, yeah, almost yeah. always, uh, uh, precipitated the undergirding of that is Jesus. That's He's called the Lord in Luke's Gospel more than anything else. Yeah, so. and
0: Paul's letters, right. that Lord, almost the default would be yeah. the, the risen Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus Christ. Christ, huh? Which is itself kind of striking and actually helps to complexify our tendency to play off the Spirit and the Son. As if, I, I, this is probably getting ahead of ourselves, but I'll bring it up now. I remember debating with an old an old friend of mine about, Oh, you remember him, Sam bills. Oh yeah. For oh, my yeah. son's okay. name. And and we would often debate like how to think about Luke and acts relationship, mm-hmm. both as a literary uh, reality, but also the kind of theological question of the time before and after mm-hmm. the Easter. And he was, he is the first one to kind of point out to me the, the problem, although he used, I remember him preaching it and then he kind of like rejected it. He was that kind of a person constantly kind of <laughs> changing his thinking, but he had, he had I'd heard, he preached early on a sermon that used the language of like the baton, right? The Jesus yeah. handing the baton over to the apostles. And then theologically, that's the kind of movement from the incarnation to the Pentecost from, from the son to the spirit. And, and then he came to this like, when he was in like seminary's like no i think that's dead wrong because actually you read acts jesus keeps showing up right. <laughs> jesus himself's actually doing things right. he has speaking parts in acts later he'll talk right. to paul really, right. or saul uh and stephen sees him at the right hand and then now one that i maybe never noticed before already even here it's not just that the apostles are talking about him as a figure of the past but he himself is present and active right Which then means, in a certain sense, the Spirit is being referenced here, because the Spirit is precisely how the risen Lord acts in this time between the times. I don't know, maybe that's
1: getting ahead, but um, the Lord added, I think, just really matters. At the beginning of the passage, this this phrase, and they devoted themselves, mm-hmm. it, there's not enough emphasis in the English to really give us oh. the, the complexity of the Greek. It's a technical phrase. It's a periphrastic construction, which is okay. a form of the verb to be and a active participle. Aeson proskartaruntes. Yep. And so all this – so it's – it would almost have to be translated, and they continually devoted themselves. It has more of an active, ongoing sense to this. And they were present and active in the devotion toward. Right? That's right. <laughs> I mean, and, that would and, be silly. And, but and I, the apostles' <laughs> teaching, when you read through all of the sermons in the book of Acts, there's such a, 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 a wide uh, area of interest that each one has, because each one is contextual. Contextualized, whether it's in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the. Mm. So you go to Mars Hill mm-hmm. and the sermon that Paul delivers on Mars Hill is nothing like the sermon that Peter would have delivered at Pentecost. Yeah. However, the one key ingredient they all have when it says they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching the resurrection. Yeah. That is in every. So this, the, the apostles teaching about Jesus' resurrection would be a better way. So huh. he is present in their midst. Especially as the gospel is being proclaimed, even though he is um absent in uh verbal form, if you will, yeah, so he's the that's a nice little inclusio then from forty two to forty seven right yeah. the,
0: it's he's the content of the teaching of the apostles, and he is the the hidden agent of the adding to their number i would agree right? in yes forty seven yep and then that That itself becomes interesting, right, especially because apostles teaching, of course, is centered on the story of Jesus. The fellowship that they are devoted to is a fellowship with each other and with the apostles, and can't I can't help but think of like i don't know the way that first John would talk about fellowship mm-hmm. or the way that Paul talks about fellowship. It's always by being in fellowship with other believers. That
1: is our mode of being in fellowship then with Jesus himself. Yeah. It is, it is Paul's phrase used again and again of being in Christ. That, that's what our fellowship is. It's in relationship to our yeah. relationship to Jesus. So it's not like there is a vertical component and a horizontal component. It is no, both simultaneous. simultaneous. You're right. Yeah.
0: And then the breaking of bread goes with that too, then, which yeah. it has to be more than just eating together. Oh yeah. It's, it's, although it doesn't have to be, we don't have to overdo the kind of Eucharistic sense that the breaking of the bread is a,
1: well, The it, way that it, Christ it, is with his people. It takes us back to, if you will, one of the climactic moves in the book of Luke. Yeah. It is where Jesus, on the road to Emmaus, invites these men to sit down with him, and he breaks the bread, and their eyes are opened, and they recognize yeah. it. Yeah. So, it is not just the resurrection that causes them to be transformed. It is having their eyes opened by the Lord um, and recognized, and it's, that's done over a meal.
0: Yeah, and when they come back to Jerusalem, when they narrate it, they say that how he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. And there's there's four verbs, right? He took, blessed, broke, and gave. Right. It could be at the giving of the bread, the blessing of the bread. Somehow, it's the breaking that is the kind of the kind of key word for this. It's this shorthand for
1: yep. table fellowship with Jesus, right? Um, and 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 that's meals in the first century. I mean, Christian meals, the church meals rarely was it just communion the way we do it now it would have been a meal and that's we know that from paul in in 1 corinthians when he tells them how they're doing it wrong yeah right um so that that's a wonderful insight that we know there's a right way to do it and a wrong way but it's they're they're sharing a meal together and some are coming late and are left out and they're hungry and so is this just a meal at a table uh, is it communion it's probably both and, and mm. almost always that would have been the norm.
0: Yeah, and the repetition is then really interesting in 46, right? So they're they're daily attending temple and breaking bread in their homes. Right. So breaking
1: bread goes with
0: – I never saw it in their homes in 46. I don't know how really? I missed that. Well, it's it so is, obvious, right? It's
1: this wonderful sense, the coming of the Spirit, the transforming of us to be the community of God in Christ is both public, the temple – and private in the homes, um, and it's not nice, like yeah. we are we are only Christians in our homes, but in our public display as well. And the ancient church, without without a doubt, the ancient church did not evangelize the way we do. We bring our friends into a church to hear worship, and then to turn the pastor loose on them so they can be converted. <laughs> it was our jobs as that community to share with our friends um, in the marketplace, and that's where the transformation took place. Yeah, well, then that
0: raises some interesting interpretive questions that uh, we'll come back to after our breaks. So let's take a quick break. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm your host, John Drury, and I'm here with Dave Smith, uh, first-time guest, really jazzed to have you on Happy to have you talking about a, a text that I know is uh, near and dear to your heart. Thanks, John, for the invite. Yeah. Um, so, this, what you were saying right at the end in terms of setting up a little contrast with common practices now, it, it seems to me that one of the crucial hermeneutical puzzles in Acts interpretation in general and in this exact passage in particular that comes up again and again is, is to what extent this description of their life is also a prescription for mm. ours, right? This mm. is, um, and, and cause it's rhymes, it must be a deep question, uh, <laughs> but it's clearly descriptive of a life. It clearly has some kind of normative value, but how, yeah. And in what way and to what extent is a toughie.
1: It is. I uh, was sitting in a uh, doctoral program seminar. With uh, James D.G. Dunn ah. at Durham University, who always wanted to be called Jimmy Dunn. Okay. He gave this wonderful talk as he kind of walked us through the work of the Spirit in the Book of Acts. Mm. Um, and uh, then he said, are there any questions? And it's when somebody like Dunn makes a presentation, a question says something that was delivered is not clear. So it's not necessarily a uh, um, a positive comment. So I, I raised my hand, and that was the exact question I asked. Mm. As you are talking, is this just simply descriptive of the first century church, or is it prescriptive? And his answer, with this wonderful Scottish accent that sounds so much more <laughs> intelligent than ours, was yes.
0: <laughs> right. Okay. Um,
1: it is, so so it is this wonderful. I mean. This whole move of the book, when I say the book, I mean Luke dash Acts. one one quarter of the New Testament is one writer telling one story. And it begins in these opening chapters of Luke with the word spirit occurring 16 times and the spirit came upon, mm. which is totally foreign to the way Matthew and Mark and even John tell the story. Right. So it almost seems as, as if the spirit is the spirit of prophecy from the Old Testament yeah. of how God will come upon people like uh like Mary and Zachariah and and people that meet the baby Jesus in the temple, whether it be Simeon and then the then the term "spirit" disappears altogether except as it is associated with Jesus. Mm-hmm. And then this promise at the very end, wait, wait in Jerusalem for the Father's promise. Doesn't say spirit for the Father's promise. And then this explosion of energy that takes place in Pentecost and boom to our passage then that all of a sudden the word spirit occurs in the gospel or the book of Acts four or five times more than it does in the book of Luke, and then it will continue through the life of the church. So if you ask, is it descriptive? Yes, it describes what happened in Luke and in Acts. And is it prescriptive? Yes, Paul comes upon us and very clearly says in the book of Romans that unless you have the Spirit, um, and so the Spirit becomes paradigmatic for life in Christ.
0: Yeah, and I I, I saw what you did there because... What is being prescribed is our own openness to the spirits leading, which then leaves open the exact form that that might take in a different place in a different time, which is actually very true to the book of Acts, because of course, this exact summary would not actually describe Christians outside Jerusalem. Right. Because clearly, like, this is a temple centric Christian community. I mean, even. And Jewish centric, yeah. So even the prayers, well, I was thinking temple centric, because even if you get Jewish believers from a synagogue, synagogue's not the same as temple, right? right. And so, right. so, so yeah, that's the next layer. So there's there's the move from temple to diaspora synagogue, and then the move from synagogue into well,
1: and don't forget this into wonderful move Gentile that, that takes place is. In the book of Acts, or the book of Luke, it seems as if the temple is that center. It it is predominant in Luke, which is quite surprising. And then when you come to Acts 2, the Holy Spirit comes. And then if you want to take this now to uh, chapter 10 of Acts, where you have Peter and Cornelius meeting, Mm -hmm. and there is this unbelievable phrase that's almost kind of, for us as Christians, a throwaway, where Cornelius says to Peter, now. In the presence of, of God in this place, tell us what he is up to. And the thought of the hmm. presence of God being real, intangible huh. in the house this. of a Gentile is unbelievable language. Okay. So we, we think of it, of course God is everywhere, but a Gentile, that God being in the house of a yeah. Gentile. So all of a sudden you go from tent- temple centered to house centered. And you see it in this passage; it's being anticipated. Yes, oh, it's, it's corresponding here exactly. Because
0: is the phrase "the prayers" at the end of forty-two? I mean, is that a reference to the public prayer life at the temple? You think, or is that is this debated in the commentator yeah, it, yeah, commentaries? It is, I,
1: th- I mean, in in this introductory phrase, this uh, and they continually devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the, the breaking, breaking of, of bread, bread, and to the prayers. And that's a technical term. Cause don't forget when we come to the next chapter. So this is somewhat, um, looking back and looking forward. When we come to the next, we see the two apostles coming into the temple at the time of prayer, three in the afternoon. Okay. Yeah. And so we just think that's a nice clock time. No, nine in the morning and three in the afternoon are these two times when sacrifices are given, incense is offered, and as you know from the book of Revelation, incense is the prayers of the people that's going up to heaven. So I do think it's a technical time of prayer in the temple, um, but it will be wonderfully elaborated on because of the presence of the Holy Spirit and people being everywhere that Paul Another throwaway verse in First Thessalonians, that you will pray continually without ceasing. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I think this is a technical term, but I think it's also being introduced that prayer can be done at any time, and it's expected to be done at all times.
0: Yeah, I mean, then all of a sudden that becomes relevant for, like, you know, even praising God in 47. Again, a general statement, but could be saying – they remained devout, uh, not just devout Jews, but devout Jews who were devoted to the temple in its life. Right. And again, it's back to that prescriptive thing. I, I know part of it is when I've seen this happen, especially on like college campuses, someone will experience a um, there'll be a big uh, movement of the spirit will occur, mm-hmm. right? And and what do you do? You start reading Acts, right? Right. <laughs> and oh, and. Yeah. And you get to this and they start saying, well, we need to do these things, right? It's easy to see this as a checklist. Right. And which kind of, I hear you kind of, not to to dismiss what's here, but kind of, you can think of it as, here's the things that people do who want to be receptive to the spirit. And I'm hearing you narrate it a little bit more the other way. These are the kinds of things that these people do because they've been receptive to the spirit. And if you keep reading the book of Acts, you'll have more summaries that have a different vibe That's and right. a different flavor and different That's details. Right. Yeah. But the, um the, the, the thrust remains the same. As you mentioned, the apostles teaching that part remains continuous.
1: Um, well, it moves from, I think there's two ways of um, defining that to the teaching that the apostles did. But do not forget that as soon as the deacons move Mm. out of Jerusalem, the apostles aren't with them. All of a sudden, this becomes Philip and Stephen and others. So I think in this passage, it is apostolic teaching
0: it becomes that's that's exactly Ah. right. So it
1: becomes the the apostles who are teaching in this part. Then it becomes devoting themselves to the teaching that others are doing that the uh, apostles taught us. So it's, it's handed off to the next generation, if you will, or in the book of Acts to the next destination, which will mm. be Samaria, Judea, and then to the ends of the earth.
0: So then it's fair to say that, I mean, in a way, all four of these practices take on new particular character as the gospel um, by the Spirit moves forward. Yeah, right? I mean,
1: often in kind of in 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 the church world, we call it contextualization. Yeah. So all of a sudden, these things are true right here, but they may actually have to be applied to a different location, different language group, different culture, socioeconomic background.
0: Yeah. So, like, uh, in terms of these four, you've got apostles teaching. All of a sudden, the shift as it spreads moves more and more towards you know. It moves from the apostles' teaching to the apostles' teaching, right? The content becomes dominant. It needs to be in continuity with them. And then the fellowship has to take the kind of form that's going to actually be workable in those communities. So it's clear even in the book of Acts – by chapter 20 that you've got the weekly meeting on the first day of the week. That's referenced in Acts 20 and other places, the shift to the weekly meeting. So I've had people read this after a big outpour of the spirit and it's fine. I just always hope that they keep reading right? because maybe for a season, it'd be really cool to have your small group that meets every day. Right. Because I've heard people say like, Oh, your small group should meet every day. Right. And that's a kind of, narrow prescriptivism that I do worry about with this passage, but to go so far in the other direction, Oh, that was then this is now it's nothing like it's like, no, there is a, there is a, but the form of fellowship, you know, develops and, and adapts and is contextualized to the, to the life of the people where the gospel and even the breaking the bread. I mean, you could almost see for er, these first Jewish Christians in Jerusalem, especially where you have temple life to attend to, where the kind of – the ritual character the the of the breaking of bread is unnecessary because the ritual – you get your ritual when you go to temple and then afterwards we all go back to the house right. and break bread together. Right. And of course, it, it has the spiritual meaning, but it doesn't have to have a religious meaning per se yeah. and in, in addition to what would already be there for Jews. Well, this, but you, then with Gentile Christians or even Jewish Christians who aren't going to the temple but only to synagogue and receiving teaching, you can see how for them – The notion that we may need to say a special phrase or do a special prayer to kind of make the breaking of the bread a kind of act of worship, it's suddenly occurring to me that that actually kind of makes sense that that would become slightly more ritual. As you can see, it is in Paul's letters. It's a bit more – there's some kind of form there that even the breaking of the bread takes on a new layer when it no longer has the kind of worship life of the temple to take as its assumption.
1: You know what I mean? Um, Yeah, the temple's not – well – given two facts. One is if you're somewhere else in the diaspora, the temple's not there. Number two, probably at the time of the writing of Acts, the temple was not there. You've been right. destroyed in seventy That's right. So this, this is already
0: not normative for anyone. That's exactly right. It was, it, it
1: was, but by the time it's written down, it's not. But this idea <laughs> of in the book of Acts, as it plays out, why the meal is so important is do not forget. This is knowing that it's going to go out to the ends of the earth, the very first time you really get this sense of a Jew and a Gentile eating together, again, is Cornelius, Right. where Peter goes into the house that he should not be going into if he was obeying the strictest sense of the law, because it's against the law to eat. have to be purified to enter the temple again. That's right. right? That's right. And again, that's why I think Cornelius' words, going back to what we are talking about before, Is that he says, now, here in the presence of God, tell us what he is up to. And they're eating together. And so you get this sense that episode is actually being defined here by the term koinonia. Ah, Yeah. Yeah. And
0: then you think, because we're at the beginning of the book, I can't help but think about chapter 28 even. Mm. Right? Where they're in Rome now. Right. From Jerusalem to Rome. From temple and homes I used to say from temple to homes, but I actually think it's important that here it's from temple and homes. Right. Just like it's there's people from all over the ends of the earth at this scene That's in chapter correct. two. That's correct. Right. So there's there is this is you can almost see this is a kind of centripetal force of mm. of the nations coming toward yep. and then being sent back. Yeah. And then this centrifugal force of this motion outward. Right. right. Yeah, wow. So but from the temple and homes to to just homes, right? And and of course the word temple is not an exclusively Jewish term. I'm sure oh, there's no, a little bit that's no. implicit here of Well, you're every, not going to the other temples. If there was a temple, every you city would, had
1: a temple in it. Yes. And it doesn't wasn't just one, but multiple ones. So when you're talking about eating, um you're eating food that has more than likely been sacrificed In a temple to another idol, then the food distributed. Yeah. So, uh, but but that does not make the event that's taking place unholy. It is the presence of people eating together in the name of Jesus that sanctifies it.
0: Does that give an extra layer to this? uh, If we suddenly think of this less in terms of description of events in AD thirty, though, without denying that, but recognizing it, the that. The act of describing this and writing it down and being heard is decades later, right. coping with very different questions than would have been being asked by the actual people who experienced it. Very this. true. Is even the language of breaking bread have a kind of edge to it because of the, the association of meat with temple? Uh, it just occurred to me that there's something about bread that functions as a
1: um, non-pagan <laughs> object. Oh. <laughs> uh, oh, I see what you're getting object at. Object I don't know. Um, that's it just a, occurred a, to me. It's a great question. I mean, because you know, in both uh, in both First Corinthians and Romans, there is the discussion of eating meat that's been sacrificed to idols. Is is this right? Is yeah. this wrong? Um, and I think I think Luke is actually staying out of that argument. I think so too. Yeah. Um, he he doesn't. <laughs> and maybe want it. it's
0: cooled off a little by then. Yeah. I don't know.
1: Well, um, I th- I think one of the things, yeah, the other thing that's going on here, which is really interesting. Is As the book moves on for the next several chapters, the disciples, though we know in Acts 1-8, they are being sent to the ends of the earth. Mm -hmm. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. But it's highly successful in Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. The disciples do not want to leave because ministry is so (laughs) effective. And it's not until this man named Saul comes in who brings persecution – Stephen dies, and then it says, and they were all, all the disciples were driven out of Jerusalem, except for the apostles. Mm-hmm. They stay back. And then the deacons and the other disciples go out. And what happens is you go from these um, vast numbers of people being converted – Three thousand, then a thousand, Lord adding. And then all of a sudden, Acts six, seven, eight, nine through 12, you have the names of individuals that are being converted and their stories are all significantly different from one another. Uh... So the spirit no longer is acting the same way. Uh, um, the spirit can do all kinds of things. So there's really, if, if we want to think about, uh, um, Acts nine, Paul's conversion story being the paradigmatic one. No, look at the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, completely different. Look at the stories subsequent, they're all different. And so if we ask this is this descriptive? Yes. Is it prescriptive? Yes, but each one is unique their encounter with this spirit. And that yeah. that's helpful to me and this this kind of sets that tone for it. And the Lord added to their number daily but uh, he's going to continue to add but instead of adding by the thousands he's adding by the named. People. Hmm. And so you could actually add David, me, yeah. John, you and then continually play it out that our stories have a lot of common ingredients but they're not the same.
0: Yeah, wow, and it's it's funny cuz you mention the success in Jerusalem in the way that Acts narrates things. But what we know from the collection Issues in Paul's letters, money collection. Yeah, yeah, as as well as a few clues in Acts. um, Though the the community, they had this initial growth. They either were or became, you know, in great need, great great financial need, and so in some sense, the Jerusalem Church is the kind of source of the expansion of Christianity. But another way, they also
1: then become dependent on that expansion right. to yeah. keep supporting them. Yeah. Um, yeah. The church seems to move from Jerusalem to Antioch in a short period of time. And the Antiochans end up sending back offerings. And then every place Paul goes, the church seems to move from Antioch then to Ephesus and then to Rome, yeah. obviously. But Jerusalem is always the mother, the original sending church, Yeah. but also then becomes rapidly a very needy church. Yeah. Now, a question I guess I
0: have, and we don't all know all this for sure. This is a lot of historical critical kinds of questions that can't be totally answered definitively, but the way we've been focusing on the literary text before us. But um was the poverty of the Jerusalem church a, a function of the persecution that came later? Or was it – or was – was it kind of almost an inevitability from day one? Cause you've got people from all over the world who kind of don't actually have jobs. And I mean, when it's talking about them all having in common, I mean, this is, this is often seen as this beautiful scene, but I mean, you literally could read this and think of it as a refugee camp. right? Like they're just, it's not a given that, you know, even the, the having favor with the people can be read as a kind of pity, right? It's not right. a. I mean, I don't know. I, maybe I'm sticking, yeah. pushing it too far, and maybe the 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 challenges. I, I don't think that's Luke's emphasis, but as I kind of reading between the lines a little, I think Luke Luke tends to want to put put well, the, is, put it on the persecution. You, you know right? the. Right. Uh,
1: um, the passage in Acts chapter 6, when there are yeah. these Hebraic uh, uh, Christians that are being cared for, then and the Gentiles, that's right. correct. And so here, here's kind of a basic uh, so so, sociological <laughs> issue yeah. is that if you knew you were going to die... You wanted to come to Jerusalem uh, to be buried there because at the Eastern Gate is where the resurrection would begin. Gotcha. And the closer bucket you. Yes. Yeah, that, yeah, that's right. <laughs> my, my final bucket list, I want to die in Jerusalem. Wow. And so there were a lot of widows there. And if you read through this okay. passage, it's really, I mean, this is again, yeah, this goes back to our opening discussion about observations. You read through all the pronouns. Mm. It's always a plural pronoun, except when you talk about the one, someone, that has a need i just oh, i just find that very it's just it's a very simple that. i a very simple greek that. word tis as someone has a need so everything's plural pronoun in other words there is that sense of fellowship as anyone had any had need any that's the only and some translations One is better someone's better it highlights that, the singularity and contrast correct. yeah some translations, I think the NIV actually says, as he has a need, yeah. thinking it's a male. It's not. It's anyone having a need. And that's helpful to me to realize, I mean, uh, if I could kind of push towards the sermonic part of this. Go ahead. Plant the seed in um, then we'll- It is asking the question, is it good for anyone to be alone? I think the body is just saying hmm. no, uh, or, or the text is saying no, that w- when somebody has a need, they are seemingly cut off from the community and it's the community's job to draw them in and supply those needs. Well, that's really good. Well, let's, uh, let's take a break there and come back and explore some sermon starters.
0: And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with my guest, Dave Smith, and we're looking at Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Let's explore some sermon starters. Where might you go with this text? Maybe you were, let's pretend you were asked at the last minute, you got to preach this, got two days.
1: (laughs) What's your, what's your angle? How are you going to run with Um, it? There's probably a couple of different ways that I would attack this. The first being that opening line in 42, and they continually devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. Um, sorry, it's not a three-point sermon. Luke gives us this wonderful four-point yeah, sermon. Yeah, yeah. And so to kind of unpack each one of those, that what what is the apostles' teaching and realizing that earlier on in the book of Acts, uh, chapter one, when Jesus is walking with his disciples' post-resurrection for 40 days with them, teaching them. Now get this, teaching them through the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Um, that, that It's a wonderful phrase in those opening verses of Acts. And so we get this idea of how do we unpack what the contents of the apostles' teaching was? And then to the fellowship, what does it mean to have koinonia? That doesn't mean to have a, a Sunday school class named koinonia that we get together. But how do we actually share with each other, and koinonia is always a spirit-anointed relationship. So, what does it mean to be in Christ together and with one another, and shaping that? Um, To the breaking of bread, is that uh, just sharing communion as often as possible? Or there is something of great tangible spiritual nature that takes place when you have a meal with somebody not just first century, but even today, and John, I would say we've we've lost the habit of having meals together with huh. each other, and at best, we do a subway run and and uh, may eat a sandwich. But what does it mean to linger over a meal and talk about one another's needs and then to to the prayers um, I was doing premarital counseling for a couple not too long ago. Um, and Angie and I always kind of make a move. We kind of talk about all the values that you want to, um, infuse into your relationship. And then the final conversation we have is on intimacy. And so you can't begin with that. You kind of move to the end. So after building a relationship of trust, uh, um, I remember asking the question to the young girl that we were, uh, that was getting married. So were you and your fiance intimate yesterday? And she shocked, kind of pushed (laughs) me. What what do you mean by that? I said, oh, The most intimate thing that you share human to human is not your body. It is what you're asking God to do in and through you. It doesn't get more intimate than that. Mm. This is my area of brokenness, and I need you to help carry it. We don't do that very well either. We we actually tell people, yeah, I'll pray for you rather than stopping and praying at that moment. Mm. But then to do that follow-up and ask, has God actually accomplished in your life what you asked him to do? So, that right there would be my first jump off. It's a wonderful four-point outline, but don't tell people what you think this means. Speak for Luke. Yeah. Allow Luke to flesh out each one of these four uh,
0: matters. Oh, it's nice because you actually can kind of do a, again, kind of reading this less as summary of what what has emerged and more as, or equally as an overture of the whole to come. Right. You know, to fill out each of those four concepts with, with what we learned from both the book of Luke and the rest of Acts. Right. Which then also then helps to address the descriptive prescriptive problem indirectly by mm-hmm. highlighting the variety of the way these forms take place. You know, like when you get to the prayers to say, now for them, you know, for the Christians of Acts 2, this meant participation in worship in the temple. Right. Uh, and perhaps table prayers. For the first Jewish converts in synagogues outside, you know, this may have been their continued practice at the synagogue for, mm-hmm. you know, and kind of sketch it out. Uh, yeah. But by the time you're in a kind of Gentile dominant church in in Greece or Rome, of course, Paul would have had to teach these people how to pray because <laughs> all they knew how to pray was and how he to does. pray to I the mean, gods. <laughs> when we
1: read his letters, we find his yes. prayers embedded in there. So we don't have to – well – I would say one of the things that Acts does for us that's so helpful is it actually teaches us that the prayers that we offer in our churches are, would it be okay if I said a little bit substandard of an <laughs> Acts level? I mean, when, when Paul, or excuse me, when uh, we read of the prayers of the people in the book of Acts, mm-hmm. it is not necessarily that uh, he would heal them of disease. It would be in the face of persecution, we ask for boldness. Um, that, that's, yeah. that's transformative.
0: Yeah. And, and I mean, not to get too into the weeds of the lectionary structure, cause I don't really care. This isn't, this isn't, uh, this podcast isn't for lectionary preachers exclusively or even primarily. It's more, I just didn't want to be the one picking all the texts. Uh, I wanted them to, you know,
1: I wanted to do that. But,
0: yeah. I wanted to just have a variety of texts as yeah. our jumping off point. But fun fact, this particular year, year a, we're in your cycle, year a, um, the, the section, the prayer you're referencing in acts four right. is not one of the readings really? uh, this year. It, it, there's a three year cycle. So you get different okay. Acts okay. stuff every year. Yeah. Um, this year it's the heavy emphasis is on chapter two. Hmm. So this is the third podcast just on chapter two. So you're, you know, so, I mean, we kind of do the first half of the, it's actually, there's four. Cause you double back to it for Pentecost, but you do kind of the first half of the sermon and then the kind of response. Yeah. And then this. Um, but, uh, yeah, so the, um, that would actually be really powerful to, since that is the fourth, uh, text to be able to even the fourth mm-hmm. thing mentioned to even end with that prayer. Not that we have to end there. We still have more. Well, we'll you said you had more than one idea. So this yeah. is just the first yeah. one, but I'll just read it for everyone to, or pray it just to hear it. Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. to do whatever your hand and your plan had predetermined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal. Mm-hmm. And sign and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Amen, Amen right? Amen. And when they prayed... The place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. I
1: mean, that's powerful prayer. And one of the, uh, that's the passages first in of there, prayer, yeah. the, the, the passage that you, you read, the quotation of the Old Testament. Psalm 2. Psalm 2. Um, I was teaching a small Bible study last night and uh just happened to mention that psalm 110 is the most quoted text in the new testament psalm 2 comes up right behind ah. it that if there's we often love the 23rd psalm and i do it's just not quoted in the new testament yeah. but psalm 2 if there's a psalm to memorize that would be it cuz it is quoted all over the new testament um beginning with the baptism of jesus mount yeah. transfiguration all the way to the end of the book of revelation so
0: Oh, yeah, and the way that and 2 and 110 are played off each other to get the book Hebrews up and running.
1: Right. Yeah. That's right. Oh, wow. You know, a, a second sermon starter I might do might be to kind of take this wonderful uh, a, a march through all of Acts chapter 2. Uh, you know, beginning with Pentecost, beginning with this uh, utterly transformative event that takes place, move through Peter's sermon in Acts 2, where it begins with a question – What is this all about? Hmm. So, in other words, it's looking back to the event, and the event of Pentecost is not self-defining. We look at it, we could actually get the wrong meaning from it. So, Peter interprets it for us, using Joel as his base text, but expressing that the death of Jesus is what brings this about. And then the people's response to that sermon— what does this mean? Or, no, what should we do? Yeah. So, there is a recurrence of question and answer, question and answer, climaxing in the passage that we've been reading in 42 to 47. So, it would be a, a, it would give that larger context to to a pastor's audience to be able to see how I'm not just pulling this passage out of context and making it mean what I want to, to make it as prescriptive as I want. Right, right, right. But to have it Anchored in the Pentecost event, and then to say the greatest witness the church can have is not necessarily to point everything to the spirit. The spirit is housed within us, and we are then the witnesses of the resurrection through our lives.
0: Yeah, that's funny. I, I, it's maybe this makes the, the hermeneutical problem of application too forefronted in the sermon but it depends on the context that you're in sometimes that uh that anxiety can be named explicitly it's striking it just this just dawned on me as a possible sermon uh idea but but this that build up tell that story and if you've been preaching already on acts you know you can you can just summarize but you can build up to 37 uh you know what shall we do the they were cut to the heart and asked what shall we do and it's interesting that Peter's answer is not devote yourself to the apostles teaching and to fellowship, breaking right. the bread and the prayers. Right. The answer is repent and be baptized. Every one of you, In the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and your children, for all who are far off. Everyone, when the Lord, our God calls to himself. So that invitation, repent and be baptized and then asking now turn the question back to you, right? Mm-hmm. If you have received the Spirit, okay, now what do you want to do? Right? right? The kind of, the question un- that's hidden in 42 through 47 yeah. is these are the, the free response of people who've been freed from sin. Right. This is, you know, this is, this is the, the kinds of things that those who have repented, um, and are baptized and receive the Spirit, these are the kinds of things uh, they do. It takes different forms, different places. Although the definitiveness of, uh, I mean, interestingly, the one thing, even the having all in common starts to dissipate over the book of Acts, but not. So 44 may be a feature unique to Jerusalem church. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 45 is not. Forty five remains definitive of the community all the way through the Book of Acts, of the selling of possessions and distributing to those in need. That doesn't drop. Right. You know? And I think sometimes we mix those two together and think, oh, there's this kind of communal lifestyle, and that's not script. that's not prescriptive. We don't all have to do that. And I think actually from a literary point of view, you can defend that because that isn't the way that the later books, the later churches in the diaspora are described as having all things in common in the way that this particular community was yeah. in a strict sense, but 40 in a strict sense, but in the, the point of it is caring for those in need. That remains a consistent right. Right. way of life in it is. 45. It is. I mean, I'm a fan of 44 too. I'm just saying like <laughs> the, the notion that, that, uh, that every single time the church spread out, um, a sort of communal lifestyle was established. It's just not. No, it's just not defensible no, no. historically, literarily, no. or theologically. I mean, no. if it was, I'd I'd stick up for it. But yeah. it's just not. Not every not every Christian church is a kibbutz. You know. Yeah, <laughs> and let's
1: make sure we're not we're not we're not at all talking about communism. This is not. Well, about, I am a little. But, but, but no. <laughs> what's really interesting is the next time we have an occurrence very much like this, yeah. is in Acts four. In Acts 4, a character is introduced that we haven't heard ah, of before. His name is Barnabas. Right. And the re- he is brought out as the epitome of, a, as a disciple is, um, he just sells things and brings them to the feet of yeah. the disciples and, or the apostles and gives it. So, and then the next story, of course, is Ananias and Sapphira mm-hmm. who are contrasted with this. And we often make this play that did what they do? Was it really so bad?
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, they gave
1: part of it. The issue is they didn't declare the Lord as the owner. They took uh, upon themselves, and it was that they actually lied to the Holy Spirit. that That's the, if you will, the unpardonable sin. Yeah. And and as you're going on, I love this, again, this backward reference that wherever Paul seems to be going, and sometimes to extreme poverty places where he's setting up churches, they're actually giving money to go back to Jerusalem. So it at least these funds do return that way. Yeah. So so a a, a spirit-led community is I would I, I rarely say the word always, but let mm. me kind of put it in here. A spirit-led and spirit-developed community is always other-centered.
0: Yeah. As any had need. I mean this is uh to 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 uh to quote the communist manifesto to each, according to his need. I mean, like, Mm. but I mean, I'm not trying to push that either, but I do want to raise the question of our tendency in our American rugged individualism to want to assign blame to those in need. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) As individual choice. Yeah. And the whole spirit of this community is one that says, I'm so struck by the individualism the individuality of 45 Yeah, every single other. I mean, I'd never saw that contrast till you pointed it out to Mm -hmm. me. This there's only one singular pronoun and it's based on need. So then it's saying when it comes to my possessions, I don't think of my possessions as mine. Right. But when I think of need, I do think of that as yours, right? Individuality matters when it comes to assessing need. Yeah. And is irrelevant when it comes to assessing uh, my own, uh, uh, you know, possessive, uh, my own, uh, property rights, et cetera, et cetera, right? Yeah. That kind of real, that re, that response to each individual need, right? That that's, that that's the act of this community. And it's fun because then you get kind of a, right? This is neither, uh, this is neither strictly communitarian nor strictly individualistic picture, right? Right. Because it isn't just saying, you know, Everybody just pitches in, and everybody's kind of equal it's much more of a kind of uh who has need, what
1: can we do yeah. right let's yeah. respond and isn't it interesting um, that need is not fleshed out yeah uh, i i don't know what it is as as this someone has a need it's almost uh it, it's, it's it's very similar language to Matthew chapter five where it says uh, and you're coming to God to worship and you're bringing a gift and you find you have same phrase, tis, you have something with a brother. You leave the gift, you go and be reconciled, and then you come back to worship. Doesn't specify just, if it's a sin. It, you have a debt no idea what a, it is. So, uh, I, I think this is where the wonderful gift of the Holy Spirit, um, it is your need or my need may be vastly different. I'm not going to describe it. Uh, I'm not going to give you all the law, according to the book of Leviticus, all the different needs that are there. It is just, if, if you find that you are, you have something, you have a need. And I love the way it's just not fleshed out. Oh, it's beautiful. I mean, if, if, if this was, uh,
0: again, this is maybe a third sermon idea, but although it could be the way that, uh, you flesh out fellowship, since the word fellowship connects to the holding all things in common, it's the same coin, any mm-hmm. term. Um, if you were to do your first 4.1, this might be part of fleshing out point two, but, um, it's a little imaginative, but I think that can be okay if it's done with, uh, with uh, attentiveness to the text where you can almost kind of picture, you know, Peter, uh, pick, pick, pick a, pick a less well-known apostle, you know, Thaddeus or whatever, having this moment of remembering that line of Jesus, mm. right? The yeah. line of, of um if you're at the temple, cause they're going to the temple, right? right. And right. then maybe they're going up to the temple and, you know. Somebody for prayer at, at, at maybe the third or the ninth hour. Mm-hmm. And they saw someone in need, uh, or they remembered, you know, Thaddeus remembers, you know, like, actually, you know what, you know, remember that widow that I live next door to? She needs some, you know what I mean? And like yep. leaving right in the middle of temple service, right? <laughs> and going and doing this. And then everyone asking him, like you could do a kind of, especially more narrative preachers, you could really kind of tell a whole story of a kind of, remembering the words of Jesus and beginning to live them out. Right. You know, having heard right. the word and thinking, yeah, that was pretty cool. But I mean, if you're a Galilean, that, that temple imagery actually didn't really, you didn't even know how to, it was almost like you didn't know how to apply it yet. You're right. kind of like, you know, yeah. uh, and to think of like, wow, it's like the, this teaching of Jesus is we're finally living it out,
1: mm-hmm. you know, well, and that could be inspiring. You know, um, <laughs> The the phrases you use, like, in, in the midst of worship to go and reconcile. Yeah. I, I love, again, we've mentioned a couple of times uh, Acts 10 with Peter and Cornelius. Peter is delivering a message to Cornelius. And it says this, while he was speaking, the Holy yeah. Spirit fell upon Cornelius. It's kind of like, God, can't you just wait till I'm done <laughs> with the sermon? And I really think in the midst of church services... We have too much decorum. And I I don't want too little, but I do want there to be freedom that if the Lord does, Mm. say, John, or if he brings to my mind you, and somehow I know I have some sort of disagreement with you, do I wait till the proper time or do I go then and kneel down to you next to you in church and say, Mm -hmm. would you forgive me? Um, What a great model that might be to people to actually see Jesus speaks through his spirit and people respond without hesitation. Yeah. And maybe With if there's glad and generous hearts. <laughs> yeah. And if there's a, maybe a last sermon I would preach, um, I think I'd begin working on that, what, I, what you might call is this summative or climactic passage. This is, and the Lord added to their number daily. Yeah. Um, it would probably actually put an end to all of our evangelism committees <laughs> because it just says, if you actually act like the embodied spirit of Christ, God will draw people in. Um, it'll, it'll be that kind of family life that will draw people in. Um, and Philippians uses a similar phrase where uh, it actually says, the witness of the oneness of the community. This is Philippians 1, and following. The oneness of the community will be a word of salvation to the church mm. and a word of condemnation to those who are perishing. So th- the best word we can do, the best way we can actually act like Jesus is to be one. So that's Philippians. That's Romans 12. That is uh um John's chapter 17. But Philippians 1, 27 and following just wants wow. us all to be one. And you don't have to worry about evangelism. If you are one, the Lord will draw people into that. (laughs) This is a clear sign. Yes. Clear witness. Wow. And so oneness, uh, um, uh, realizing the sovereignty of God and that the things that I own, I don't. I'm just a steward of them. The eyes to be able to see the need, singular, the need, the person that has a need, and and I help to meet that need, um, this is exactly what it means for God to entrust you with other people. Yeah.
0: Man, I'm so struck by the singular. Yeah, I'm sorry to harp on it. Because it's so easy to preach on a passage like this and talk about needy people in the general, in the mm. abstract, and to fall into this kind of patronizing relationship of seeing individuals as simply instantiations of a group of needy people. Right. As opposed to responding to, you know, the, the individual face of the other and it's, and his or her particular need and to recognize the, yeah, the divine ownership of all that I do supposedly own as well as just the sheer excess of it all.
1: And that I it, can rely. It, it does make an assumption. It's, it's a strange assumption in the text that needs are met with the, the sacrifice of others, uh, mm-hmm. predominantly possessions, uh, uh, financial. Yeah. Um, but it's, there's not a direct cause and effect. In other words, there are many people around us that are poor, but if they are a part of the body, they may actually be part of the need uh, the, the need completers in other people. Mm-hmm. You don't have to have the money. It may be, and this is Paul, Second Corinthians 1, where it says, um, th- this, this instead of Paul introducing this thanksgiving that he normally does in every book, in 2 Corinthians, he begins with the blessedness of a God that comforts us with the comfort that you have been mm-hmm. comforted with so that you might be able to comfort others. Yeah. You don't need to have money to be a need helper with somebody else. You just may need to have that shared experience. Yeah. well, wow. So wealthy does not mean I can now be a helper in the church being willing. Yeah. I, I often, as you will know, for pastors one that are listening, one of the, wealthy, yeah. one of the hardest things for people to do is when there is a tragedy, could be an illness, could be a death. People often say, I didn't know what to say, so I didn't say anything. Mm. And often I would just say, the only thing wrong is doing nothing. Um, even saying the wrong thing is much better than being yeah. silent.
0: Yeah, and just own that. Lead with your fears, as one of my mentors. Yeah. So I say, hey, I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to say the wrong thing, but I just, you know. I Angie, know you Angie I know you need my, help and I want to care.
1: Yeah, and my wife, Angie. Um, often wrestles with what's the right thing to say. So often she just comes up to somebody that's hurting and just sits and cries with them. And it's the best pastoral advice ever. I mean, I, I am a man of words. I can give a lot of words, but sometimes words fall by the wayside, but tears and just sitting and crying with somebody is a great gift. And that's often the need that we have is does anybody understand what I'm going through? Can't fix it sometimes, but do you understand? Well,
0: that's true koinonia, right? It's, it's the selling of possessions and giving the proceeds. It's reaching out and offering whatever help you can give. And it's the gift of tears. Amen. You know? Amen. Yeah. Amen. Well, thanks so much. We already, we pitched at you all, our listeners. Uh, I don't know, three, four different sermon ideas there. But if you're a little lost, just don't forget verse 42 has four points. It's just ready to go. <laughs> so just run with it and, and backfill whatever you want into that from our conversation today. I hope this was helpful. Uh, to those who listen in hope you had a good time hanging out for an hour
1: <laughs> john it was great thanks yeah. for asking
0: i'll say as always thanks to our listeners and thanks to uh todd and eric for all their great production work i can't imagine doing this without them thanks to tom adamson for donating the theme music and thanks be to god for his word and for the uh, opportunity to hear it and study together and with that said we say have a good preach and a great week bye bye